welcome to Live Boldly with Sarah Chilton Kranz, a survivor, thriver, adventurer, and believer in all things possible. My mission is to guide others to live their life boldly, regardless of circumstances. I believe we all have the power to overcome and lead joy-filled, happy lives. Recorded from the trail or in my office, I share inspiring stories from everyday people because we all deserve to be heard. You will also hear from handpicked professionals ready to guide you beside me. Are you ready? Let's do this. Friends, welcome to another episode of Live Boldly with Sarah Schulting Kranz. Today I have on Lori Jabbar. She is an absolute firecracker, an incredible woman. I love, love, love her story. So go grab your journal and you want to listen to this one. Before I dive into that, I would like to remind you that we have retreats coming up. They have been filling unbelievable, unbelievable retreats. Um, We actually, tomorrow I leave for the Grand Canyon and we also have Alaska in July. We're going to be kayaking through Port William Sound, nature healing, coaching, adventuring, just freaking incredible. So we have them coming up again, Grand Canyon co-ed in October of 2021. And then we have February, April, July of 2022, and we're going to be going back to Alaska and kayaking through Port William Sound in July of 2022 as well. There are co-ed retreats and all women retreats. Please go into my website, sarahsholtonkranz.com. Take a look at them, schedule a call with me. Let's get you set up. October is already filling, so please do not miss out on these. Every single time I have a wait list and you know, it's just best to jump in while you can and when your heart and soul are saying yes to you. So let's talk about Lori Jabbar. So I was on her podcast and her podcast is called She's a 10 Times 5. She does it with uh, some of her friends and I highly go in and uh, suggest that you go in and listen to the podcast episode that I did with them. She is a former Army Airborne Captain who is best known for her, quote, ready, fire, aim, unquote, personality. And that that is definitely true. Lori Ryder-Jabbar was part of one of the earliest female graduating classes of the United States military at West Point. After serving her country for six years in multiple locations in Germany, she decided to try her hand at something completely new and out of her comfort by entering the world of entrepreneurship myself included, I have to tell you. Never thought I would be. After starting and selling multiple companies coupled with an epic startup fail, Lori decided to focus on being a mom and volunteer within her community, leveraging, quote, the year of being home, unquote, in 2020. Lori decided to launch a podcast with its first episodes airing in January of 2021. She's a 10 times five strives to provide a voice and relatable topics, as well as inspire those women who want to live some of their best years after 40. So go listen to the podcast podcast episode um, where they interviewed me. I'm telling you this, like, I love women like this. Freaking love women like this. They inspire me, lift me up. They get me out of my own comfort zone at times. And it's just this warmth and loving feeling that you know that others get you. So I'm actually guiding um, a group of women, Lori included, up Mount Cucamonga uh, on June 15th of this year. And it is something that none of of them have ever done before. And so we're gonna be going up, watching the sunset on the summit and hiking off in the dark. This is something that interests you, message me and let's get a group together to do the same because there is nothing like experiencing something that you have never done before to also show you 
what you are truly capable of. Grab your journal, grab your pen, take this outside if you can, listen to this episode, enjoy, learn, and share as always. My love to you. Are you recording this? I am recording it, but we're not going to do the... um, the, the video. We only use audio. Good, good, good. <laughs> My wet head. And you know what? We're going to leave that part in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I, you know, I haven't signed any like terms of use with Ellen. So who's in the background and a cutout. I just want to make sure that legally you're, you're okay. You're protected. Legally we're okay. Even yeah. though we have Ellen in this. Yeah. Because, so here's, this is Lori. <laughs> Hi everyone. <laughs> oh my God. So I was on your podcast recently and freaking love you. Like we've had so many conversations over the phone and I literally just met you. I just, met I know. And so I, when the last conversation that we had, I think was yesterday we were talking or two days ago. ago, And I said, you know what? I want to have you on my podcast because, and I was thinking this, and then we ended up into this conversation about it. You went to West Point. You are such a freaking badass. You have a story that is so compelling and how you even got to West Point and what, how, how it was for you. And I don't even know all of your stories. So I'm a little bit stepping into this with, um, it's going to be, it's going to be cool for me to hear it at the same time. Yeah. I I'd like this interview to be like me pulling a pin out of the grenade and just <laughs> rolling it under your chair. I Can we do it. that? Let's totally do that. I love yeah. that. Let's watch it go boom. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I love women like you too. Like I love, and this is this is where I always tell people, be yourself, be your authentic real self, like show up in this world who you are, which is what you do, which is why I freaking love you. So let's dive. Let's, let's go. Pull, let's pull the pin and roll the grenade. All right. All right. All right. Where do you want to start? Let's start with, I. let's start with, who you are. I just want people to understand who you are. Let's start with that. Today. Yeah. I mean, no, like you as a, as a woman, as, as a woman, woman well, like, I, just start wherever you feel like, well, you're pulling the pin, not me. I'm pulling the pin. Well, let, let me start back where it started Let's because I think that that'll give your, your listeners an idea of how I've taken the twists and turns in which I've taken. And there's many of them and a road of failure behind me some success, but also a lot of failure, which is great. Um, So I was born and raised in Southern California and I was that latchkey kid. So very early on in my childhood became uber independent. I just, you know, had to figure my stuff out. Um, And then my mom got sick when I was, she was working, she was the main breadwinner in our family. And um, when I was about sixth grader, And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. So by the time they finally figured out that she had terminal cancer, it was too far gone. So there I was at 15. You know, my dad was a traveling salesman trying to make ends meet. Um, I had to decide how to get my shit together. And I needed to get out of my situation. So I was a recruited athlete. I started talking to all kinds of colleges. I really wanted Stanford. Was in love with that school. I was a great student and they initially wanted me uh, for track and field and cross country. And then I got a little injury and that kind of belabored it. So I wasn't sure where I was going to end up, but I knew I wanted free. 
because we were really financially hurting. And I was very afraid of this daunting thing called student loans. And I met a couple gentlemen who had heard about me and asked me where I wanted to go to school or where I might sign to run. And I said, I don't know, maybe UCLA. And I said, however, I just saw this video on this school called West Point. Well, as it turns out, two of them that they that were also on the board with them were on the board of trustees, and they swooped in and kind of pushed me down that process. So that's how it started. Um, and I had yet to be when I committed to go to West Point and um, to take a step back. You know, you have to get a, a nomination from a congressman, a senator, or the vice president to go. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It's it's like you are like and that was back when Top Gun. So first of all, there were there weren't that many women. Okay, and I was I was class clown. I know you know this, right? That's no big surprise to you. I was class clown. I was this perky little blonde, you know, whatever. And everyone I talked to says, "Don't do this. They're going to take away your smile." Like they they're like, "We'll give you a recommendation," but this is absolutely the wrong decision for someone like you. You will be back. And I'm like, I don't know. It's free. Anyway, so um, I went in to um, get my congressional nomination. Literally kids were lined up around the building. They were just like filing them in to interview. And there's this panel of these old, you know, blue suit, red tie guys behind a desk. And um, because Top Gun was big. Remember Top Gun? Oh, are you kidding? The volleyball scene. The, I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Goose and Maverick. Um, so I go in and the guys looked at me and they said, you have really great recommendations and you um, have a really great GPA, but your, your, your SAT score sucks. And it's too competitive this year. And we're really sorry. So I was like, okay. So one of the guys there, his daughter knew who I was. And um, he wasn't the congressman, but he was on his panel. And he goes, you know, my daughter knows you and she speaks highly of you. And so I started telling all of these stories. I was in there like 25, 30 minutes where most kids were in there like five minutes. And I walked out and I was joking and being my normal class clan self. And then I got a call on that Monday saying, we're going to take a risk on you. Mm. So I got my nomination and then I got my acceptance right thereafter. And my mentality was one, it's free. <laughs> and two, I don't have to take physics this semester. <laughs> I'm going to drop physics. I'm going to drop math. So, so you asked me who I was back then, the type of woman I was or young lady. I was very fly by the seat of my pants. I was very in the moment. Um, I was very grounded. And I worked really hard, but I didn't take life too seriously. And I was the personality type that could talk my way out of anything, mm. no matter what. Or into anything. Or Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still got that <laughs> genetic flaw. Um, so, so there I was. So I graduate high school. Three days after I graduate, I'm on a plane with my father. And the furthest east I had been prior to this was Utah until I landed at the United States military Academy at West Point in New York. Wow. And um, I think it was really hard on my dad because I think he knew 
oh my gosh, she's going because she needs free. And he was feeling like he let me down a little bit. And the day we show up for, they call it reception day. Um, you show up and they give you the spiel. And then they say, say goodbye to your son or daughter because you're not going to talk with them or see them for three weeks. There was no outside communication. And I remember my dad looked at me and he goes, you don't have to do this. And I'm like, dad, I got this. And then they get us behind a closed door and it was like, the screaming starts, get against the wall, get your tags, get your shit together. It was awful. And I was like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> so that, yeah. Wow. And I became the woman of, um, I was a disaster. Jerry was a disaster because I was a misfit there. I really was. There hadn't been many women before me. I think I was, there was nine graduated class before I graduated. Wow. That was mm -hmm. it. That's it. Oh my God. Yeah. And uh, that was back when they, hazing was a real deal. Well, I there's so many things I want to ask you about this. Um, yeah. So keep going. I was wondering so, about that too. Yeah. So, so, um, and, and all, also, uh, it was not very popular to have women there still. Hmm. Like now it's like, it's just, it just, it's so much of a different climate and environment. But back then, you actually had officers that weren't thrilled that there were women at the academy. They just didn't think they belonged. And um, they gave, gave us kind of a hard time. Yeah. Um, and I had one of those officers assigned to me. He, he couldn't, this guy could not stand me. Um, and so my whole freshman year was like, you know, he was always in my face. But um, I really struggled the first year. I struggled academically because it's tough. And I struggled with being mature. I just, I, I just didn't want to conform yet. I wasn't ready. I mean, guy, when I, when I got there, I was 17 years old. You were 17. So I was 17 my freshman year of college as well. And that's young. It is young. Really and, and although I was very independent um, because I had to be in high school, it just was, it was awful. I mean, I, I, they used to wake us up. So my roommate, um, her name was Bev Edwards, and she was this cute gal from Oklahoma. <laughs> she was darling. And they used to wake us up in the middle of the night and say, get everything, every hanger from your closet and put it in your mattress cover and meet us outside. So what that meant was at like two in the morning, three in the morning, you're destroying your room and you have an inspection every morning before you go to classes. So they would just do stuff like that all the time. So um, the first year was, was awful. So there you go. Start asking your questions because. Oh, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I mean, it's, I can't even imagine. So my brother was in the Air Force uh, Academy. And so I think about, um, you know, when it comes to stuff like this, but being a woman in it mm -hmm. and so difficult. I can't yeah. The, the Air Force Academy, we don't consider that a real Academy. By the way, <laughs> it's gotten tougher, I think, but we, we used to always tease. And, and whenever um, we'd have a, cadets from the Air Force that would come visit, we would really put on a show for them and they would leave like, just like, oh my God, thank God I didn't go there. Right. Yeah. 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 So how was it for you though? I mean, like, so you're the only woman there, like you're, you're not the only woman, but you're one of the only women that are in this right at West Point. How, how did it change you 
being there from when you were 17 into who you are today? Like dive into what it was like for you as a woman and how it actually formed you into who you are today. What, I mean, cause I just can't, I like for me being in college and being a mom, right. In college, mm-hmm. that completely shifted into who I am today as a woman, but that's a whole different environment. Yeah, it, it is. Well, well, first of all, you have to understand that um, the ratio of men to women it was about 10 to one. And there's only f- about 1400 ish cadets that are entered every year. Right. And, you know, this is an overused thing in movies and whatever about the military academies or, or even the military. Look to your left, look to your right. One of you will not be there. Well, that was 100 percent the case. Mm. They don't do that anymore because, you know, taxpayers are investing so much money into getting you through because they need officers. So now so now the attrition is not that bad. But we had about 144 female cadets. And I think we graduated under 50. And what's really interesting is, and to answer your question is, um, you know, back then we didn't support one another. It was a very interesting phenomenon. Women didn't support women? mm -mm, We really, it was more, um, and we talk about it now as old grads. Like, why didn't we, you know, close shoulders and support one another better. And I don't know if it's because we were in such a male dominated environment and there were, um, we were all trying to get ahead in that system. So we were pitting each other against, I don't know. And and we all scratch our heads because now I think it's such a different vibe when, when I'm with other women, it's very supportive. It's very empowering. Um, I mean, I love nothing more than to help a woman try to reach her goal. Um, but I will tell you that three things that I got as a person and a woman out of being in that process. One is that not to be afraid of being a woman. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I was physically very fit, which helped me. I could keep up with the guys. I was a runner mm-hmm. and I got instant credibility that way. But at the same time, I wasn't a, a man and I it was okay with physiologically can't do X, Y, and Z, but I could do these other things. And I'm not going to feel bad about what I can't do, but I'm going to really hone in what I can do. But I'm a woman and it's okay. I don't have to act like a man or try to keep up with that path. So being really comfortable with being a woman in any environment is was huge for me. Um, the second thing is having the ability to relate to people of every type of background and every type of sensibility because you're, you're, you know, you're thrown into, and you were too at, at the University of Wisconsin, but it's even more so. Oh, sorry about that. There's the phone. Um, is, you know, you're, you've got all walks of life. You've got, now I'm, I'm, you know, having to team with people from Alabama to New York to Alaska even some foreign cadets. And, and at some point you have to be able to lead them. And so you have to be able to relate to them, inspire them and see what their, their connection is. And so I think that that I've been, it's made me very, very adaptable as a woman today where I can relate to, and I, I don't need to judge people. Um, I try to get into their perspective as best I can um, look through their lens, which I don't think always we do. Sometimes we get very kind of myopic and yeah. look, look through our lens. Um, 
And the other thing is that I can do anything. Like no matter how hard things get or how hard they seem, um, somehow you can pull up your bootstraps and just make it happen or get through it. it made me very, very tough and resilient. And I, you know, I tell my kids all the time because um, I've got two sons, um, one that just turned 20 today. Um, so I'm aging myself, but not, you got me beat on that one. You got a 30 year old. Yeah. You got a 30 year old. 30 year old. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so what I tell them, it's like, you know, even if you lose it all, you know, you can get back again. Yeah. You just got to work real hard and you got to grind. Everything's a grind. So, so th- those are the three things that I think I took away from that experience that made me the type of person and woman I am. How did it help you as a leader in going there? Well, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, and, and it's interesting because we typically think good leaders are the product of good leaders. Oh, interesting. Right. So, and, and, and that is true. You know, you've had those people that have inspired you and you say, okay, when I get there, I want to be a lot like that person because they're a good leader and they're compassionate and they give voice to people that don't otherwise have one. But sometimes we learn good leadership from really shitty, bad leaders. Um, Amen. Right. And that, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. So, so I'm going to tell you a story. So we, um, there was a kid named, and I don't remember his first name, but I, I definitely remember his last name is Colkin because you heard it, <laughs> you heard it everywhere. Colkin, Colkin, like constantly getting yelled at. And he was a, a short statured kid. Um, and, but his grandfather had gone through the academy and, his, and was a lifetime officer and his dad was the same. And this was his dream. This, this kid out of Tennessee to go to the academy and become an officer, just like, you know, his legacy. Right. And he was kind of a spaz and it's survival of the fittest there, you know, and they typically try, if you're you're not cutting it, they'll, they'll, they'll weed you out if they want to. And I remember um, he just couldn't get his shit together and we were all trying to help him, but he just was that kid that just was a bumbling kind of mess, but such a great guy. We all loved him as classmates. And this was during the summer and we have an area, you guys would call it a quad. We call it the, the central area where all of the barracks and dorms face, they kind of encircle it. Well, they made him stand in the center of that area and scream at the top of his lungs, sir, I am a spaz, oh. over and over. And I remember watching from my window, my heart like breaking for this poor kid. And at one point, his voice cracked, and I knew he's he's crying. Right. And pe- some people were kind of hooting and hollering at, at him from their windows. And, I ju- and then he quit. He ended up leaving after that moment. And I remember saying to myself, no matter what, I'm not going to be that type of, because it's almost borderline bullying. Like it's using your influence in a negative way. You know, no matter what, that's not the type of leader I want to be. I want to be the the type that pulls people along, you know, not push them. Yeah. 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 So that they break. I mean, that's horrific. That's horrific. So was there, tell me about the bullying there. Was there a lot of bullying that happened? Or I want to start with that. What was the bullying like? Well, it wasn't necessarily bullying. Um, you know, I think I think people on the outside might consider it to be that, but it's really all about a rite of passage there. 
I mean, they definitely toned down the hazing for sure. Um, we wouldn't eat Some, sometimes like that. Yeah. Just, just the whole scene at the dining room table as a freshman is, is it, you cannot fathom it. I had a girlfriend that came out and she visited and my high school bestie. And she's like, I can't believe this is what goes on. You can't until you see it, understand it. So you have to see that the freshmen are, um, there's three freshmen at the table with, a table of um, 10, so seven upperclassmen, and you have to know their drink preferences for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Because we sit down as a core cadets for every meal. Mm. It's crazy. And then there's the person that has to um, announce everything. So, sir, there are the, the main course of the meal today is, I don't know, rib sandwiches. Would anyone not care for rib sandwiches, right? And then, um, and then there's the dessert person. And the dessert, so so here's, this is crazy, the desserts. So you would get, let's say you get a pie, okay? okay. And you would announce the pie and you'd say, sir, the, the dessert for this meal is cherry pie. Would anyone not care for cherry pie? Well, if they didn't like you, some of them will look around the table and they would make it an odd number because you had to cut the slices of pie in perfect precision. We used a protractor. What? To do that. Yes. And then when you were done with cutting the dessert. So if you got eight people, you were stoked <laughs> because it's like simple cross and then cross. Right, right, right. But if you got seven, you were, <laughs> it, it's anyone's game. And then you have to say, um, the, the, the cake has been cut. The kid ate, uh, cake to cut out Smith for inspection. And then if they don't like it, then you get demerits and yelled at. I mean, it, you know, so every meal was a stressful situation, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, we, there was one recurring dessert that everyone loved it. They called it the Martha Washington cake. And outside of the mess hall is a statue of, of Washington on a big horse. And, you know, it's very majestic. And if you didn't do a good job cutting the cake, they would tell you, get, get up from the table and go apologize to to, um, Mr. Washington, and you would go outside, and there was all of these cadets, these freshmen, saying, "Sir, I apologize for trashing your cake." <laughs> yeah, so oh my those God. were the daily things, and um, yeah, and then and you know, like we'd have Captain Crunch on the table; they'd make you salute Captain Crunch, and yeah, it was it was yeah, that's so stressful. They, it's stressful, but you know what? It's it's a rite of passage. It's yeah. it's tradition. It's a rite of passage, and um, I mean, I had Sarah over a hundred disciplinary tours my freshman year. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so they called people like me the Century Club because getting that many hours. So on the weekends, what I would do is you you just walk back and forth with your rifle. So I had a hundred. What were you doing? Like what? Like, like tell me something. Like what? For what? I would walk out of my room and you would be, you would hear cadet rider. Like no matter what I did, I, I was constantly getting yelled at. And, um, and then I had one big mishap. I uh, fraternized with an upperclassman. Oh, oops. Yeah. 
Does that surprise you? No, not at all. <laughs> he not was really all. he was really cute, <laughs> but he wasn't. He was, I yeah, because you you know the only thing you're allowed to really say to upperclassmen is yes sir, no sir, um, no excuse sir, and sir I do not understand. Well, I I kind of expanded our vocabulary, I guess maybe. Oh my gosh! I'm so okay. So did you? I'm going to ask you this. We're going to go here. Did you ever experience any sexual harassment since you were one of the only females? You know, um, I have very strong and potentially controversial views on this. You want to hear them? I do want to hear them. Yeah. So we, we, uh, all of the academies at one point or another have gotten extremely bad press and, and, and and mostly rightly so about this topic. Um, that being said, um, one of the things that really bothers me or bothered me, um, and, and sometimes in corporate, I've seen it play out this way too, is when you're in an environment where it's predominantly male mm-hmm. and they have no access to the outside world, right? There's no, where you're, where you're not socializing. You're in school, right. you're in leadership, you're in sports, and then you go to bed at taps yep. at midnight. That's, that's our routine. So when you're in that environment, um, both sides have um, certain standards they need to uphold, but you need to communicate. Right. Okay. And um, there was a lot of times where I felt like the guys were being the guys and they were doing guy things like maybe inappropriate jokes or maybe um, things that were borderline disrespectful towards females, but didn't understand what they were doing. And it, really frustrated me when women would go and report those behaviors without giving the male cadets the first right of refusal to stop those behaviors. So, so I was, I was a fairly cute cadet. I thought, I mean, people thought, I mean, it's 10 to one ratio. So I had, you know, I had the pick of the litter there. I did. There was a lot of cute cadets. Um, but I would tell them like, okay, guys, stop. That's gross. Like, you know, and I did have a couple, I, there was one point where I got high enough rank where I had my own room and sometimes they would go out drinking and they would come through and they would come in my room at like 12 and I would say, okay, Richie, you know, time to go night night, like get, get the hell out of here. Yeah. But, um, but then again, you know, I, I think there's, um, yeah, there were some situations where I think um, neither party handled it well and things went down and it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah. But I never personally felt sexually harassed. Um, I, um, I just, I just did. And I, I just felt like I was, I put myself in the good old boys club and, and so I had to figure out how to navigate. And so I was very honest with them. Well, I, I, I'm glad that we're having this conversation also because I have three sons, you have two sons. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I think it's a conversation. I mean, I've had this conversation with my boys mm-hmm. over and over again about, Hey, this is, this is how you need to be treating a woman. And, um, and there's this whole respect thing behind it. And, and I think that it's a conversation that all young men should be listening to and hearing and women, by the way, like we all need to be having more of a conversation about this. That, yeah. That well, you know, um, it, it, not to take us too off topic, but I think this is a really important societal issue. It is. It, because you have social media mm-hmm. and um, you have each side's words. And once those were, I always say words are like currency. Yep. Once 
Once they leave, they're, you've spent them. Can't get them back sometimes. And so I think this topic is for both sexes so relevant and important um, because, you know, it could go either way now. Yeah. You know, and and it's really hard to navigate because um, it's someone's word against the other word. And 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 you've gone through this, Sarah, right? And that's this is why you're not you're not heard. Right. And something has happened. Yes. And it falls to deaf ears. Mm-hmm. And um, and now I think, um, you know, as as a boy mom and we've had these conversations as, I, you know, it's that discussion of don't put off in a situation yeah. where it's not going to look good. You, you might not even mean to do anything egregious, yeah. but if the perception's there, then then you're at fault. Yeah. Um, and then there's, of course, the situations where, you know, the line has been crossed in such a blatant way that you know, you pay the price. Right. But I, but I do think there's a lot of gray area here. And I think, um, you know, we all have the power to, you know, kind of put a bad anchor on a a person just through accusations or or social media or, you know, and we have to be very careful and respectful. It's tough. It is tough. And social media is definitely a difficult thing to be maneuvering through. It's hard. There's a lot. We we were talking about this. Yeah. Parents, right? Like just as even as moms and having the whole social media aspect of it. In my my middle son is an athlete at USC. And so we, you know, he and I have had these conversations because you also are held to the standard that you need to also be upheld to. Um, and so yeah, and, and that's why I was curious about this with West Point. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I I think that there have been some um, really not great things at all of the academies, but I will tell you that um, the community within has, they've really tried to implement programs that are effective at sensitizing and um, educating on what's, where the boundaries are. Yep, that's great. That's great. So moving into how, what did you do? So you were at West Point for those, that, those number of years. And then what did you do post that? Where did you? So, you so yeah, so we, um, it, it, your obligation for your free education is, and it, it used to be six years, five, I believe, and then three years reserve. And I, um, I graduated, I got married to a cadet initially he was a football player. We were like Ken and Barbie. He was exactly the guy you think I would marry. And um, we're still very good friends. Um, but we were stationed in Germany. We got sent to Germany. And it was kind of funny because this was the first year where they allowed a West Point cadet to do the branch of finance and personnel. And, but only women could do it. All the guys had to be meat eaters. You know, they had to do infantry or armor. And I'm like, that ding, ding, ding. I want that because I was thinking I'm going to be behind a desk. This is going to be great. So I was lucky enough to have high enough rank to get personnel. And so they sent me over to Germany. And then my, my um, first husband met me over there, although he lived three hours away. So that was probably part of the problem of our marriage is we never saw each other. Um, And then finally we're just like, okay, we're young and dumb and let's, just be young and dumb and, but also have fun. This is, you know, so, and um, what was interesting is as an officer in Germany, we're drawing down all of the forces there trying to 
you know, get it smaller, leaner, better. Um, but at the same time, we had a lot of skirmishes happening. And so while I was drawing, helping to draw down forces, I was involved in our deployment to Somalia. Wow. I was involved. I was involved in the Bosnia UN deal before people back home even knew that was a thing. Like, I think you would hear little things in the news, but people didn't really realize that we were on the precipice of intervening into that whole situation on ground. Um, and so the up-tempo, we call it the up-tempo, uh-huh. was so extraordinarily high. So I was in the field, like I was in, I was doing the kind of meat eating stuff more than the meat eaters were as this personnel person. Um, and, and it was tough. Like, um, I would get woken up at, you know, 3 a.m. for an alert and I get everyone on the runway to go. And then they would go, oh, it's an alert. You know, so it was like that for months and months. Um, and it, but it, but it was a great opportunity. And I, I actually really, really loved my time in the military. I loved when I did have time traveling Germany and, you know, back then you're a poor lieutenant or captain. And so you didn't have a lot. So we would get in the little Volkswagen bus and, go skiing here or, you know, go to Italy. Like you could drive everywhere. It was awesome. Right. 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 Okay. So for those people that don't know, what is a meat eater? Um, Give us the, the, the meat eater is like the, you know, the tough guys, yeah. you know, or gals. <laughs> I, I, I had this guy, he was an officer that I supported. So personnel, basically what we do is we provide, just support and we um, help get the right troops to the right place. That's what we do. We're HR, HR for the military. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and he, he was great. He was this, he was this big guy and he would always say, just remember, and he loved me. Just remember, I'm the meat eater. You're the server. <laughs> he goes, as long as we're clear on that. And I'm like, I got it. Yeah. So Yeah. Whole different um, world, by the way. Like it, it, it truly is a whole different yeah. world. I mean, I know this from when my brother was stationed, and I would go and visit him, and I'd be like, "God, this is so different than what I'm used to." Yeah. Just, just the interactions and the way that people are, and the the relationships and the communication, everything. It was so different. Yeah. But, yeah. So, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Well, I, you know. It, it's interesting because I think, you know, you go through the whole brainwashing and you talk about being in a tight little box coming out of a place like West Point. Which you're not like, this is, this is what's so funny to me is that you, like you as a woman today, like you are so not in a box. No, I'm a loose cannon. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I mean, you get me on fireball. I might take my clothes off. (laughs) I mean, Tequila and Fireball are not my friends. When my husband sees me starting to get the shot glass out, he's like, we're done. Oh, here we we're go. packing up and we're going. Um, no, so, um, but, but you are, you are, you're, you're, you're literally in a box and then you get introduced to the, the bigger world yeah. of, of the military. And I tell this story all the time. It's so funny. When I was a commander, um, you're in charge of the behaviors when you're a commander of your, your soldiers. And I had a first sergeant and he says, he goes, you know, ma'am, we, we got a situation. And we had a 17-year-old kid, okay, fresh over in Germany, never been away from it. I think he was from Nebraska. And I'm like, what's up? And he goes, and I forget his name, private so-and-so um, just wrote $65,000 worth of bad checks. Wait, and what? I'm like, Whoa. 
I'm like, what the? So I bring him into my office. I go, what the fuck were you thinking? Oh, sorry. (laughs) What the hell were you thinking? And and he goes, well, ma'am, I had the checks. So... (laughs) Well, think about that. That's the mentality of like a nine-year-old. Yeah. You just write a check. It's there. I got it. You know, so you now you're introduced into this world of like where, where it's more diverse and it's, it's, you're dealing with some really educated people, some kids right out of high school, mm-hmm. some people never been away from home and you got to lead these guys. And I'll never forget. I looked really young for my age. Okay. Don't you wish you had that problem again? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you hate it back then, you know, because you don't want to get carded. You just want to be able to stroll in and just whatever. But um, so I looked really young for my age. And here I have 43-year-olds that I've got to somehow inspire confidence into leading. And it was funny. My first unit, I was a lieutenant. And I didn't know this was happening. But all of the soldiers were talking about how young I looked. And behind my back, because my maiden name, well, not my maiden name, my married first married name was Farnsworth. They were calling me Doogie Farnsworth. (laughs) For those that don't know, that's Doogie Hauser. Like Doogie Doogie Hauser. Yeah, I was going to tell you that. So this this one private got enough courage. He goes, ma'am, are you one of those kids that like graduated high school at like 12? And I'm like, well, I'm Doogie Hauser. So, but, but I always tell people, um, Flashback. you can't lead what you've never been or teach what you don't know. Uh-huh. So immediately in order to get respect as a leader, and I still do this today yeah. is I, even though it's kind of, you know, officers have this kind of thing where you're not supposed to get involved, but when they see you roll up your sleeves and get involved and show interest and get a little dirty. And, and I'm not just talking about military stuff. I'm talking about, if you're sitting with a computer programmer and actually like they're struggling and sitting down and, um, and then learning it, mm-hmm. then you have credibility and then you, you know, so mm-hmm. it's a very different type of leadership. Well, so this is interesting because when I started doing the work that I'm doing today, I had a professor tell me, and she was a professor of psychology and she became my client. And she said, I would so much rather have you as a coach than a therapist that's never been through what I've been through. Right. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I'd already gone through coaching school and I had done my certifications and stuff. What, because she actually was also a therapist. And so she said to me though, straight up, like, I want somebody that's actually walked the walk Mm-hmm. And has gotten dirty through the experience, not somebody that simply has read it in a book and doesn't truly know what it was like to go through it. And so, and to me, that's, that's leadership as well. Like you have to be able to guide and lead it in a way that you've, you've done it. Like, you're not just saying, oh, I, I know this, but like, I've actually been there and done it. Right. Well, I think the other thing too, that, um, and especially now that I'm, you know, a 10 times five, a 50 year old, and I've got older kids and you're, 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 you're now starting to, you're a little bit more reflective on things is, um, I, I think being vulnerable and having the ability, especially when you're in a leadership role to just it being flawed is okay. Right. You know, you know, the, you don't have to always have this air of perfection in order you know, you want to be vulnerable and relatable. And 
in the finger pointing exercise. And it happens with leaders is, you know, because um, we have that feeling like, well, we can't admit mistakes. We can't show vulnerability. So um, I think, you know, as a parent, you're a leader of your household, right? Yes, absolutely. And we know your kids like, hey, I'm human, you know. Absolutely. Right. Um, and the other thing, too, is that um, having a moral compass. That doesn't mean sometimes your compass isn't always the azimuth sometimes goes in a direction that you regret. Right. It, we all make mistakes, but you can't separate true leadership with moral leadership. And I think society, like we need to get back to that. I agree. 100%. Right. If you don't have character. 100% agree. And again, that doesn't mean that we're not going to all make mistakes. Like, cause we do sometimes we'll tell a lie or sometimes we're, you know, we make mistakes. We're human, but you have to be able to own your shit and get that azimuth pointed in the right direction. There's nothing worse than following someone or feeling like you have to follow someone that you just characterly think they're horseshit. I agree. I agree. I, I, that's why I always say integrity always. Yeah. You have to be able to stand in your integrity. You have to be able to have that moral compass and um, what I call the true North. Like if it's not true North and, and sometimes we sway, I get it. And it's also about getting back to your true north at all times. Right. So, so fascinating. How has this um, impacted? So, 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 okay, well, let's just back up. So you, so then what happens? You, did you, you got divorced from your first husband? I got, div- we got divorced after two years. And then we just, it was funny because it freaked everyone out because, you know, we were still super good friends. Like we'd still be each other's date for events and stuff. And, and we're, we're close even today, mm-hmm. you know, like I, sometimes I'll go, Hey, you know, Hey, I'm, um, you would ask me, um, when's the last time I was on podcast probably about six weeks ago. And it was, it was for West point. And I said, Hey, I go, I'm going on this podcast and I'm, I'm going to talk about you. And he's like, no, don't talk about me. So, so we, we, and he, he's still in, he's getting out after 30 years. He's wow. a big muckety muck. Yeah. He's done really well. I ended up getting out, um, like right at my six year mark because it was time for me to go. So um, I had won this award and I primarily because I was involved in some of the skirmishes. I I was in the thick of things. Like I remember when we were doing the Bosnia planning, um, I would, you know, you'd have to show your fingerprint to get into these meetings. And here I was this, this, well, at that time I was a young captain and all of this brass. It was just, whoa, like it was just crazy. Um, so I, I was fortunate enough to be um, the General Douglas MacArthur Leadership Award. That's a mouthful for Europe. So my career trajectory was 100% in the right path. However, um, I had a, um, a fe- ex-female West Point. So this goes back to why women don't support each other. I don't know. That was my um, assignments manager. And she's like, you're going to either DC or the Pentagon. And I wanted to go because I was airborne. I, I cool. like to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Cool. Yes. Cool. And so I wanted to go to Fort Bragg and, and be the personnel people for like the real like hot shit soldiers. Right. Right. And I had a request to go and she's like, you're not going, someone else needs a turn and you've had all these things happen. And, and so I go, look, if I, if you send me the Pentagon as a woman and a captain, I'm going to be making coffee for someone who's making copies for someone who's making coffee for that guy. I'm not going to do it. There's no way. So she called my bluff and I ended up getting out. And then I moved to the Bay area. 
Um, so, and then did a total 180 and became an entrepreneur, but that's a whole nother lifetime. But yeah. So that's kind of, so it was, it was, I was only in for six years and it was a great six years and taught me a whole hell of a lot, but. What was the biggest thing that it taught you? What is it? What is the, if you could go back, if you're looking back now, what is the number one biggest thing that it actually taught you? Well, it taught me a lot about um, just people, you know, taught me a lot about stress and people. uh, And it taught me, I think just how to be more comfortable in my skin. Yeah. Well, clear. Like, yeah. Because you, you show up as you are, which is really cool. Right. And, you know, you know, I, I think I got back to, um, you, you know, you said you're so far out of the box. I think, you know, you do West Point, you do the Army, um, you always have to be on. Then I went into corporate and then I became an entrepreneur where, again, you're, you're, you're leading and it's not always easy because you're starting from scratch, right? So they've got to really believe in, in the vision you're still kind of in a box. And then I think once I was with that, um, it was like this, like, you know, the, the, the Atlas shrug where you shrug the weight of, the, of that box or the world off your shoulder. Like, okay, I'm going to go back to being just me. Mm-hmm. And I think I was able to do that because over time I'd become so comfortable with who I was as a person and who I wanted to be that now it's just like what you see is what you get and all it's faults and flaws and, and, and there's some good things wrapped in there too. And not take, to take it so serious, not to take myself so seriously. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like the 17 year old has returned in a way? <laughs> yeah. I don't think she ever left. I think she was this, had the sleeping beauty syndrome. Yeah. And she was, yeah. So, but even, even so like, um, you know, you, I still was that person. I still was like leading with humor. I, I love to lead with humor. It's, I think it, I find it very, um, you know, it kind of softens everything with everyone. If you just have a little laughter about yourself and if you lead with that, it's makes you much more approachable. And we have a cutout of Ellen DeGeneres. I know. Your name behind she, she's, she's scaring me. Like she's kind of stalking me back there. She's literally like, I was like, who is that? And then, I, then you told me, I was like, oh my God, that's totally her in white. Yeah. <laughs> my boys aren't fans of Ellen. They're like, mom, get her out of there. And I'm like, no, she's Bobby, staying. I love Ellen. I We all love Ellen. I just think that Ellen, she, she took one on the chin this past year. She did take one on the chin this past year. She totally did. But I mean, and, and I think that that also goes back to, and I, I, I don't know the whole backstory of it. So, and I have not, I've been a little in my own world with 2020, right. And like the beginning of 2021. So I don't know all of the backstory of it. Um, and, you know, hopefully whatever happened that she learned from it and right. she's remembering that she's human, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I find this, this is what um, infuriates me is we never, we never get the full transcript. We never do. Give me a break. And it's like, you know, she's been doing this, what, 30 years, 20 a long time. Yeah. So if, if it was that bad, I think, you know. But, um, but, but, you know, and people share stuff and they share certain things, but you never know the full transcript. Mm-hmm. 
And then we're so hard on each other, right? No, I know. And I think that this world needs to um, completely take a little bit of a breath and have more humor in it. And that's why I love being on your podcast. I said that you guys are one of my most amazing podcasts for me to be on because you it's this opportunity to simply be yourself, to speak your truth and to do it from your place, right? Full, full transcript right there. Full and Monty. I, full Monty. And I, that's how I always am in my life. And I, I just don't believe in holding back in that area. So well, you know, it's, I, it's been, I'm a, it's, I, I, I freaking love humor. Like to me, that's, I've been ridiculed for my humor, by the way. Really? I, oh, girl. Oh my God. I once had a therapist say to me, I'll never forget it. And I did, I did not, I, I, because of my past at 17 and having so much betrayal with therapy, I didn't actually um, see too many. I just didn't see too many therapists in my life because of the betrayal with therapy. And then when I did finally see somebody, yeah, I had somebody actually question my humor. What are you hiding behind your humor? And I was like, I'm not hiding anything behind my humor. My humor is a part of who I am. And I love, like, I mean, I, that's just, that's just a part of who I am. You'll find me at my humor and everything that I do. I mean, I laughed at my story so many more times than I think anybody else ever could have because it's crazy. Like you can't not. Right. And so, yeah, I think humor is important. I do too. And it's just fun. I mean, there's so many funny things that happen. Um, but you know what, what's really interesting is the one thing I've learned through doing my own podcast was for so long, and I think we might've talked about this for so long, we like 20, 30s, we didn't feel like we had a voice. Yeah, totally. And now we're like middle age, kind of almost empty nesters or are mm-hmm. that's kind of, it, now everyone wants to tell their story because yeah. they've had so much that they've kept inside. Yeah. And we all have these beautiful, amazing stories of either trials, tribulations, success, misfortune. I mean, it's just amazing to me. And I love that. Yep. I agree. I, you know, I agree. It's, it's, I think everybody needs to be, if they choose to share their story. Right. I think that we can learn so much from one another through that. That's why I, I've always said that my three words and everything was, has been truth, inspiration, and hope period, because it's, there's so much behind your truth. You have your truth. And we need to be leading inspiring days. And that's where the humor also comes in and having a lot of hope in what we do. Yeah. In our own self, not external. It's a a hope within your own heart and soul. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. What is one thing that you could share with our listeners in terms of your entire life? Like, give me something that you could share with your listeners in terms of um, your own truth, inspiration, hope. Let's start with there. Um, that's a tough question. I know. And I didn't even prep you for it because that question just came off my head right there. You just, (laughs) I put you on the hot seat and you were an epic fail in my lightning round. So all fair, right? But I, you know, I don't watch movies too much and I don't, I mean, I'd like this whole music thing. You're you're cute with it. Um, (laughs) I think my, my truth is, um, Oh, God. I think I have multiple truths. Can I have multiple truths or I just have one? 100%. One per hundred percent. Um I think my truth one of my truths is acknowledging um that life has not been easy. Mm. Um but not holding on to that pain and 
being able to branch out and establish a positive outcome through having a pretty rough childhood, mm-hmm. very alone, very, you always felt alone. So that was, that's one thing. Um, the second thing is truth is that I'm not perfect. Yeah. I, I, you know, and I don't want to be right. And I really don't want others to be like, I think there's this great thing about being raw and flawed and, and open about it. Um, and the third thing is that I want to be loved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I want to be loved by my children. I want to be loved by my friends. And I want, um, and, and so I pour myself into those relationships because um, I know I need to fill that within myself. And right. so I always make sure to take every opportunity to fill it within others because it's not a scoreboard, but it is a two-way deal. Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yep. Yep. So what was the next one? Inspiration. Inspiration. Um, I think youth. Mm. Like youth, like I am watching both the pros and cons of the way kids are growing up today is an inspiration. And it, it, it also stresses me, but I love to watch the younger generation kind of navigating this crazy friggin' world we live in and see how innovative they are. And um, I just, I, I love it. And I love helping I love helping um, young adults. They come to me and they're motivated and they want to change something and they want to, you know, back when we grew yeah. up, we didn't want to, cha- we didn't want to change the world. Now you've got like 16 year olds that, you know, are, they're vocal and they, they want to, they want to stir the pot. And I, and I love it. I find it very inspiring. I do too. I do too. Okay. Now hope. Hope. You too. I don't know. What's that? Maybe that's your hope too. I don't know. I, you know, I, I, my hope, um, honestly, is we get back to finding common ground instead of divisiveness. Oh, thank you. And, um, and, and community. Um, and I think the two go hand in hand. I, it's so disheartening that we lead with the fight versus we lead with unity, mm. you know, like, you know, even it, what, here's what's funny because it's it's flared up in it again. But if you look at if you were to look at the Palestinians and the Israelis and the Muslim and Jewish faith, right? Not to get political on you, yeah. There is more; they have more in common than they have not in common, and yeah. but they choose to focus on the division, um, and then. Um, community. So, and what I mean by that is I think we get so wrapped up in, because we're in that divisive mindset, sometimes we get so caught up in the, the big picture stuff, you know, and sometimes the difference is made with your neighbor or the kid that comes over to your house because they're a friend of your child. And maybe they just need a touch point. Mm-hmm. Just you taking the time to just really talk with them, um, appreciating our teachers that are with their our well they haven't been with our kids in California but they're still with them right, and appreciating what they're bringing to the table. I mean all of that. I, I just think we've lost that community fabric, and I my hope is we get back to common ground and 
as communities because the world is so big and complex. Like I can't change what's happening three states over. I I mean, I can be in tune with it, but boy, man, I can be out in my community and help pick up garbage or help an old lady cross the street. Like literally you talking about that. I have chills. I have chills. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, just helping that person that, you know, we see him that they may be struggling in the supermarket or I don't know. That's what I hope because I can affect that. I can't affect what's happening on Capitol Hill. Right. What's right in front of you, because that is an impact right there. We completely forget about that. And I agree with you. A hundred percent agree with you. Well, and you know, here's my other hope too, is, um, is we really have a, a bigger growing chasm of have and have nots. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get too like itchy gitchy and whatever on that one. Um, but we have an obligation If you've been blessed enough to have a seat at a table or a position of some sort of influence, or maybe, maybe financially you've been going right now, girlfriend, you're going to get, you've been, you've been blessed financially where you have, you can exhale. Uh You have an obligation to close the gap um, by giving those that don't otherwise have a seat at the table or the ability to exhale, or maybe feeling lost and without a voice, you have a moral obligation to connect with those people and give them the ability to cross over. And um, and again, that part of that goes to community because I look at so many kids, and especially this past year, they're getting lost, you know? That, that goes back to the conversation at the beginning about our morals and needing mm-hmm. to step into that space. We When I used to have the big home, right? Like now I don't, I had live in 800 square feet across the street from my big home, by the way, which is very, my old home, which is very funny to me. Um, and I did that intentionally, actually. When I lived there at Thanksgiving, we would do anybody that doesn't have any place to go, come on mm-hmm. over. Oh, I love that. Because for me, and that's how I've always operated. Always, I've always operated right. that way. Where did I learn that? From my mom. You know, my parents used to do the same thing. It was, our home was always open to any kid where they were latchkey kids, where if you didn't have anywhere to go after school, come on over. And I, I believe in that. And that's never left me. And I think that unfortunately we, as a society, we've, we've strayed from that. And we need to get back to that place about caring for our neighbor, caring for one another caring for the person who's loading our groceries up or who's, you know, taking our money at the gas station. We forget about that. And it's so important. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I have this thing and uh, an old mentor of mine taught me this is, um, and I do it. And at first my kids were like, mom, you're so weird, but there's a reason why people wear name tags. Yes. Thank you. And I, and I, every oh time I'm God, in the, every time you. I'm in the supermarket or I'm uh-huh. ordering at, at Starbucks or Panera, or I always make sure to say, thank you, Adam. And you know what? They are surprised. Like she just called me Adam. You know, it's like, we've gotten so far removed from just the, yep. Like, you know, how are you doing today, Adam? Or how are you doing today, Jane? I always make sure I use their first name because it's there for a reason. And it, I, it, their whole light changes when yep. you do that. Yeah. And, and um, 
you we know, soul sisters. Like what the hell? I, we we're kindred. I do that same thing. Oh yeah. It's always interesting how many times that people look at me like you just called me by my. There was one person that had their name tag upside down. We were out to eat and it was upside down. And she was like, "Oh my gosh, it's been upside down." It was later at night, and I was thinking, "How has nobody told you that? Like, how is it that we're late at night eating dinner? You're serving us." And we're, you're just now realizing that. Has nobody said anything to you? Is it because we're the only ones that are looking at your name tag? Like, yeah. that, how sad is that? That's my point. Is like, how sad is that that nobody else noticed because they weren't looking at your name tag? Well, I have a really good name tag story and bear with me. Um, it's, it'll take you back to West Point because, um, you know, we, we all wear name tags, right? And um, I had this, this kid, he was a spaz. He was in my squad. His name was um, Cadet Pickett. And he came out to an inspection formation without a name tag. I go, what the hell are you doing? Pick it. Where's your name tag? He goes, I can't find it. And I ran in my room and I got, I go, okay, for this formation, I'm going to protect you. So I got him. It said beat Navy. I said, go to the cadet store and get a new name tag. First opportunity. So next day inspection formation, he comes pinging out there. That's what we call it um, to formation. And I, I look and he's got, you know, he's got a name tag and it says ticket. And I'm like, ticket, your name tag says ticket. <laughs> that was wrong with you. You can't wear this. So I run back in my room and I get the beat Navy again. I go, next time you got to go and make sure it's the right <laughs> name right. tag. <laughs> so we come out the next day, the formation. And I'm like, okay, good. He's got a name tag and I see it. So I walk up and I look at it and it says dick it. What the said, hell? Dude, I'm done with you, man. And I go, hey, everyone, look at, look at Pickett's name tag. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I'm going to leave you with one last thing. And this is my hope is um, and and for people to think about is um, is there's two sides to to the equation here. Okay, one side is it's a travesty to watch our youth be three lanes behind. And what I mean by that, I'm saying this as a, a track and field runner is, is you have certain kids that are starting at the gates mm-hmm. and there's some kids that literally are, are doing the same race, but they're yards behind and that's not okay. And we need to try to, not that we can't, ch- we can't necessarily always change where they start, but right. boy, we could certainly put an investment into having them catch up, training them to catch up. Right. And we need to care about that. And then the the second um, hope I have is that we talked about the chasm, right? Is the the people that have been able to exhale and find success or, you know, are on their way. Don't slight those people and don't resent those people. Appeal to their mentorship. Mm-hmm. admire their hard work because many times it comes with hard work yeah. um, and know that you too can get there, but it's got to take work and it doesn't happen overnight. You got to grind. And if those two, if we could start doing more of that melding where we're being empathetic about and understanding of both sides, yeah. then I think that unity starts to, to happen. And that's, that's my big hope. Yeah. That and that Brad Pitt finds me. (laughs) It's not too late, Brad. Not too late. (laughs) (laughs) Right? 
I love you. <laughs> I too. And, 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 and yeah. And you know, JLo can have Ben. I mean, what the fuck is that all about? Why are we, why are we, why are we going back to Benifer? And they're, and they're in Montana. That's where I was supposed to get a, my retirement home. I can't have that riffraff in Montana. Are they back together again for sure? I it's looking like they're like doing something, something. I don't know if it's a publicity stunt, but I I'm so confused. I like I just sit back and I go, I'm so confused by some of this. Yeah. But that's I mean, you know, I'm the butterfly. I just go, okay, whatever, y'all. Like I'm yeah. away from this. I don't, I don't know what's got like. it. It's a dumpster <laughs> fire. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. Meet me on top of a mountain. How's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I absolutely love everything about you and what you're doing. Right back at you, mama. Let people know where they can find you and also go listen to their podcast. You guys like your podcast freaking rocks. So tell us. Thank you. Okay. They can find us at she's a 10 times five. And there's that she's and then one zero times T I M E S five. Yeah. And there's good stuff. And we've had amazing guests. We really have. We've had Sarah, who was awesome. And now she's my lifelong friend. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I anticipate major buffoonery and good times to happen. Sure. <laughs> but we've had we've had some really great ones. I um, think you need to get on Ellen's show. <laughs> Why not? Ellen would, Ellen would love us. Ellen would love us. Ellen doesn't even know how much she would love us. <laughs> how do we? Yeah. Okay. That's another podcast. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so check us out. Yeah. And, and feedback is always welcome. I mean, we're, we're kind of new to this game. And so we love when people tear it apart or give us good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And they can find you where else, where else can they find you if they're, if they, if they're interested? Well, that's pretty much it. I don't, you don't, you've got your own Instagram page too, right? Well, that's what I did at she's a 10 times five. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it takes me a second too, you know. Yeah. Well, you're blonde. I mean, I'm looking we're, at Ellen. We're, we're, there's three blondes on this call right now. That's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> recipe for disaster. All right. And thank you for having me, Mama. I and I cannot wait to climb that mountain with you. We are. So we are climbing Mount Cucamonga. There's 15 ish, right? Ish. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and watch the sunset. Uh, myself and Eliana Moon are going to guide you guys up there. You women up there, I should say. And we're going to watch the sunset and come down in the dark. It's going to be freaking phenomenal, by the way. It is. And this is a great group of women. You're, you're you know what I love? Here's what I love. And I just want everybody to like truly listen to this. When you allow yourself, and then we'll get off. When you allow yourself, you give yourself permission to get the hell outside of your comfort zone and to become somebody that you were not five seconds ago, even one second ago, you can soar. Like that is where the expansiveness happens, right? And then I also talk, talk to people about the fact that when you allow yourself to get outside in this state where you're, where you're pushed at a place that you've never been before, you find so much clarity in who you are. Like that is where we really truly find who we can become. And I am stoked about this. Like I love yeah. guiding people through this. I've had people say this so many times to me. They're just like, you know, going into these places where I've never been. That's what this is about. And I'm not only talking about in nature, on mountains, in the canyon, in Alaska, wherever the hell, but it's also within yourself. Right. You so much more about who you are. 
And when we're doing it in community like this with 15 women, I mean, 15 desperate housewives. I just got to tell you something. This is where I'm just like, it is going to, this is where it's going to just be like explosive. That's, that's my pull the pin, roll it underneath the, underneath the, the chair and watch it just explode. Right. Like that's where I just love it. So. All right. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, it's been great having you on. Thanks, babe. Happy birthday. Okay, thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Friends, thank you for listening to the Live Boldly podcast. I am grateful to have you here, and I would love to invite you over to sarahsholtoncrans.com to grab my free seven steps to a joy-filled life. I share these seven steps from my own heart, soul, and experience These steps transformed my own life from victim to survivor. Also, please, let's all be ripple effect of change in today's world. I ask of you to please share this podcast with others that may need to be inspired or who need to hear from others going through where they are right now. To grow this podcast, please leave an iTunes review, go to my Instagram or Facebook page, and let me know what you think. I love hearing from each and one of you I love sharing your thoughts, messages, and inspiring words. Because we are not alone in this world, friends. Let's keep the ripple moving. It begins with each one of us. I love you and have a great remainder of your day. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.